I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found check battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, as always, presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. Scentlock, what sets what sets Scentlock apart is their carbon technology for maximum odor absorption. I would highly recommend you to go check out Scentlock. They are absolutely incredible. I've got a good friend on the line, a buddy of mine, a familiar voice. I've got Mr. Chris Perino. Chris, how are you, man? Oh, doing good. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, hope everything's going well and you're getting all the santa claus stuff done for your kids well you know it's not going well chris because it is uh you know when this episode releases it's december 22nd and it's supposed to be 55 degrees today how in the heck are you supposed to late season hunt when it's 55 degrees well i don't if i could answer that question i'd probably win the lottery but i it's you know i think everybody's been dealing with the same thing i know i have here it's been uh it seems like the, you know, the rut comes and it there's always a little bit of a lull in, in December for me. And uh, I always look forward to some snow and just, just some kind of some foul weather because it seems to concentrate them more on, you know, it takes away a lot of food sources and, and puts them on the food sources that are there. So, uh, you know, that's kind of the the way I hunt deer here for sure late season, but yeah, when it's 50, 70 degrees, I don't, it, uh, kind of leaves a lot of, it doesn't, it doesn't quite concentrate them on the food sources like you'd like. So I, uh, I could definitely feel your pain there. Yeah. I, uh, I haven't been able to quite nail them down at all. I mean, it's like, you know, just like we don't know what to do. They don't know what to do either. Um, you know, their body is telling them and they're, their, their, their mind and body is telling them, Hey, listen, you just had a hard rut. You need to start replenishing. Uh, so, so hit the food sources. Uh, but the weather and is telling them it's, it's complete different. You know, we went to Oklahoma and, and we were hunting like December 10th, uh, around that, that time frame, uh, a few days on either side, I think like the ninth, 10th and 11th, we were hunting and, uh, the deer were still very much so rutting. Uh, and I'm not talking like just a little bit of pushing and a little bit of dog. I mean, they were full on chasing does 
And uh, you see what I think? What I think, and this is just my simple mind, my my simple way of thinking, is I think that weather never really dropping to winter weather. Um, I think it kind of just kept those does hanging in there a little longer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I um, I probably tried to quit figuring a lot of that stuff out years ago. You know, I hunt when I can hunt, and uh, you know, don't try to overthink it myself. Like I don't. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't I don't think the you know, I do think it's you know, you got your you know, your first rut, you know, your second, you know, second rut, third rut in in most of the Midwest and and probably in in you know, in the north and the south just kind of all over, but um, you know, yeah, some of the does come in and the majority of the does come in and you know, then the late ones come in. So I, I don't know, you know, I mean it's uh it, it seems like it's everything kind of happens around the same days every year, you know, kind of no matter what the weather is, but definitely, I don't know. I, I don't really know. I can't say I know what the weather plays in that scenario. I know that, you know, I just do what's always worked for me in the past and that's kind of what I stick with. Um, yeah. It, you know, there's really never, never a bad day out there hunting. So yeah, it doesn't no, really I, matter. <laughs> I'm very much an, an an opportunist. You know, if I have the chance, um, for instance, this evening, um, I, I'm going to go out and, and, and try to hunt and take the recurve out and try to shoot at least a doe. Um, but uh, I'm very much an opportunist. You know, if I, I mean, I do look for, for certain days where the weather is, is great and the stars are lining up and, you know, you've got a drop in temperature, a rise in pressure, and you're like, oh, snap, I need to be in the woods. Um, but just because weather temperatures or, or, or weather predictions and deer movement predictions aren't great, doesn't mean I don't go period. Um, I just maybe don't push into my best spots. Um, now before we jump in, I've got a lot to talk with you about. Um, you're one of my favorite guys to talk hunting with. Uh, but before we jump in, I got to give a quick thank you to our friends over at season report. I have spent 10 bucks on a lot of stupid stuff. Um, but season report for just 10 bucks, um, you can use code hunting one oh one. That's all caps hunting one oh one, and it's gonna make that entire platform just 10 bucks for you. Uh, but season report is like an online database where all state all state agencies information lives on one platform. Uh state agencies websites can become very clunky and very difficult to work through. Um, so you know, if you're just for instance, I was driving into Arkansas. Uh, to hunt over Thanksgiving break, and I was trying to purchase my license online, and it was like registering my old license from when I grew up in Arkansas, um, and doing some really weird stuff, and I could not buy it online, um, so I ended up having to to wake up super early, drive to Walmart. Anyways, state agency websites can become very clunky. Season Report does a great job of taking all of that, putting it on one easy to use platform where you can save the state, save the counties you hunt in. Pull up all the season dates, bag limits, laws, regulations, all on one place in one format. It's easy to understand. It's easy to use. Go check out seasonreport.com. Use code hunting101. I'll make it just 10 bucks. It is a lifesaver when it comes to trying to figure out when to hunt, where to hunt, how much it's going to cost you to hunt, how to purchase your license. Go check out seasonreport.com. Chris, um, tell me about your season, man. You've had a pretty, uh, a pretty good season, which, by the way, um, 
since the last time I've had you on the podcast, you finally took a dive into the social media world, uh, which is good because now I can keep up with your hunts. Um, so that's exciting. I was, ex- I was kind of shocked when I saw you on there. Um, but, but it's exciting because now I can keep up with your hunts, but you've had a pretty good season thus far. Am I correct? I did. I mean, it's, uh, you know, when you're hunting, when you're hunting with a recurve and, and that's what you do, you know, shooting a couple, two or three animals a year is usually a, a, you know, I mean, that's, I consider it a pretty successful season, but yeah, I, uh, as far as the social media aspect, I don't, I'm still kind of figuring out where I stand on that one, but, uh, uh you know, I'm, I, you know, I've met a lot. I truthfully, I, you know, there's without getting into, you know, the nitty gritty. I mean, I think there's good and bad and probably everything, but definitely, uh, you know, I've got a lot of friends that I've met and a lot of guys that I meet at shoots and live in different States and they're, you know, I don't speak to on a regular basis, but I definitely have, uh, you know, been able to kind of keep up with, uh, a lot of the guys that I know in the traditional archery world, um, kind of what they're doing, what they're hunting and, and, you know, it's, it's, that that's been kind of enjoyable for sure. Uh, you know, I've definitely right. met some guys and then, you know, you end up running into them at different events and stuff and you put a face face to the name and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, from that aspect, it's been, uh, it's been enjoyable and, uh, I, I definitely think you need a filter on it for sure. Like it's not, it's not everything you see is, you know, it's, there's a little bit of Hollywood there for sure, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, that's yeah, everybody. How, how do you think that Hollywood effect plays a role in, in the hunting industry? I, I probably ought to plead the fifth. Like I really probably shouldn't get into that because my views might not be might not be in aligned with what everybody else thinks so i i, I don't know you know i i'm well, no I like just i said the, because i just asked that because i do believe that that hollywood effect that hollywood lens um that is put on social media is that go out and hunt and you kill giant deer every time and and then you get these guys and and you take them on their first hunt or you take them, you know, you, you try to get them involved in hunting. They're like, dude, I saw one yearling all year long. And you're like, you saw a deer. That's good. You know, um, it's your first year. Hang in there, man. And they're just expecting because of what they've seen on social media. And they see all these people with giant whitetails hitting the ground. Well, nobody on social media posts that they went four seasons without seeing deer. Nobody posts on social media that, they missed two deer the season before nobody posts those types of things. So everything you see on social media is just giant dead deer. And, and it gives new hunters or it gives non hunters an unrealistic expectation of what hunting is and the pursuit of wild game. Well, I think that that sums it up pretty good. Um, I, I would say this, like I, I, I would say that, just because you see something doesn't make it so you know it's not like everything like people see things on social media and i don't think they uh, you know some people have some people have better spots to hunt some people hunt in better states some people you know have the means the the more time i mean there's several different things and 
that's never taken into consideration. And and I guess the one thing that is is frustrating to me is is when I see people getting into it and they, and a lot of times they'll look at different things and you're right i think they get they get overwhelmed they get um I, I truthfully i think it's a little bit of a negative because the guys that anybody that's that's been successful on a consistent basis and has you know that most likely they've been hunting for a very very long time um they've spent a lot of time in the woods and you know, they've had, you know, failures along with their successes and, and no one sees that like no one. I mean, I'll use myself for an example, like, and, and this is the, this is the, this is the truth. I mean, this is absolutely the truth. And most guys probably would would look at it and never, never think it. But when I started years ago, I mean, my dad took me fishing and, and, I wanted to get into hunting. My dad was really not a, I mean, he didn't hunt. He, he took me fishing and we did a lot of camping and stuff in the outdoors. And the hunting was kind of something that I pursued and, and he helped me with it and took me and, and then he eventually kind of got into it a little bit, but you know, yeah, I mean, we had a lot of times going to parks and going out and just trying to get things figured out. And, you know, with my dad, not being a hunter, you know, he was trying to figure things out at that time um, as well. But, you know, I, I can remember getting my first bow and getting into it and buying my first tag. And man, that was back in, I mean, I was back in 81, 82. I mean, I was eighth, ninth grade. And I went literally four years four years before i ever like the first year i think i saw four deer like the whole seat like i didn't know what i was doing you know i went out and we had five acres i went out and sat in a tree and you know looked out into the woods and hoped the deer went by like it was no more i, I had no clue what i was doing like i was sitting in the tree waiting for the deer to come by i'd go out there you know six i'd be done at 7 30 and just didn't you know it was like starting that process and i really had no one to go to and ask you know what do i do how do i do this but you know the first four years were total learning experiences you know i think i saw four deer in my first year the second year i think i saw you know few more than that but you know we ended up starting to go to state parks and different places and you know and each year kind of got better and better but and each year I was hunting a little more and a little more, you know, as I got older to where I could drive, you know, I was able to, you know, go myself and do stuff. And I liked it. I mean, I was really, I was really into it. I spent, a, you know, as much time as I could outside of school and that trying to go hunting. But, you know, the first four years were pretty dry. Like they were pretty, like, I never shot at a deer. I never killed a deer. I never, I, I didn't. I wanted to, I mean, I, anything, you know, anything would go, I mean, I, you know, doe buck, button buck, it didn't make any difference. If it was a legal deer, I wanted to shoot it. Like I had never shot anything and, and really wanted to, but so I hunted four years, I think on my fifth year, um, the fifth year hunting, I ended up shooting a doe and 
And unfortunately, it, it got away from me. I didn't, I didn't end up recovering it. So then on the sixth year, I shot a doe. And uh, that was so that so the, so I killed my first deer six years into it. Like I know, I, I see people and talk to guys that are getting into it, and and there's n- no way people would go that amount of that many hunting seasons without collecting. I mean, they'd be totally, I don't know, dejected or just they'd be. I think so. defeated with with the whole hunting process and at the time i really didn't know any better like i didn't you know it's like okay well i'm gonna i gotta figure this out this is hard and uh yeah yeah i mean i didn't really and you know and then each year you know i kind of got you know after several years you know there were some guys that kind of took me under their wing and they took me and it's it's you know they were kind of successful so you know it was kind of a stepping stone for me and and basically the first four years I didn't shoot anything. So I didn't kill a deer until like the fifth year in. And it was probably not until my eighth, ninth year. And by that time I was, you know, I mean, I was up through high school. I think I killed two deer in high school. I killed a doe and a little six point buck. And I can tell you too, that the first buck I killed was, it was a six pointer. It was, I, I don't know what it measured. It was not big. It was a year and a half old buck. And I was as happy as, as, as anything collecting that deer. So when I see people that, that get into it or they, you know, start hunting, whether it's a kid, whether it's an adult, whatever it is, you know, whoever it is, like once you get into it and you do collect something, I feel like that you have every right in the world and should be very, very proud of that animal. Like, you know, you went out, you did something that was very, very hard. You succeeded with it. It does not make any difference to like, I, I really have a pet peeve about, you know, guys see every, see guys on social media with 160, 80 inch deer, 200 inch deer, you know, but if you, if you look at the stories behind it, it's usually not what the average person can do. And that's what's frustrating to me. So a lot of times the guy that shot the six pointer or the eight pointer on his grandpa's farm or has got 20 acres to hunt or hunted, you know, killed a doe, you know, two or three into it. That's really quite honestly, some of that's harder than some of these really, really big deer that are, are, are being taken on, you know, um, heavily managed ranches. And, you know, I mean, now we got game cameras and we got, we got all this technology that, uh, man, I mean, it, it it's takes a little bit of a little bit of it, of the hunting away from it for me. And again, that's just my opinion. I'm not against game cameras. I'm not, you know, against some of that, but you have to put it in perspective. And the perspective is that hunting, no matter what method it is, when you're first getting into it, it is, is, is hard. And, the more you regress back to, you know, if you start setting limits on your weapons, you know, you go from a rifle to a shotgun to a crossbow to a, I mean, I don't know how you want to um, teardrop them down, but you know, the harder it is, you know, if your effective range is 20, 25 yards, well, you know, you, you're, 
you're definitely putting the odds in the animal's favor. But again, I don't, I, I enjoy elk meat, deer meat. I, I like, I mean, I, I definitely keep and, and will eat anything that I harvest. It's not uh, my family starves if I don't get a deer. So, so my view of hunting is I enjoy the process. It's like playing a chess match or something. And do I win all the time? Absolutely not. Like I, I most recently pulled up, um, I have kept all my tags for years and years. Like I always keep my tags. I keep, whether I punch a tag or don't punch a tag, I never threw them away. I just always kept them in them over the years that box has grown to it's 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 pretty big like it's a stack of papers and so i went through it the other day and just kind of separated the ones that were totally unused and uh, i'm like this is there's a lot of there's a lot of time effort and money put into all these tags over the years that i never did punch but just because they weren't a punch tag doesn't mean it wasn't a doesn't mean I didn't either learn something on the hunt or enjoy doing it. And, and absolutely. And there has to be that. There has to be that that mindset change. And and that that's what I appreciate about you, Chris. Is you watch social media, and what you see is not always what you get. In fact, most oftentimes it's not what you get. Um, <clears throat> and there's a reason for that. And it's that that buck shaming and that oh my gosh, you didn't kill a giant shaming. And, you know, I try to, as much as I can, be as transparent as possible on my social media. Uh, because my goal is to to hopefully teach and inspire a new hunter, not, not to make myself look like a good, bad-to-the-bone hunter. And I put out a video not too terribly long ago um, of the first hunt that I went on with a recurve. And I stocked up 24 yards from this little bitty 40 pound pig. Um, and it, the, the camera is over my shoulder with a recurve. You see the arrow and you see the pig move just enough. And I missed just enough. And, and I hit that pig in the, in the hind quarters and dude, you would be, it blew me away how many negative comments I got. Um, and not even just negative comments of like, oh, you missed, you suck. But like negative comments of like, you should never hunt again, you filthy animal. You can't even hit a pig at 24 yards. And I was just like, no wonder there's such a hang up on the, the entry to hunting. No wonder there's such that 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 barrier of entry uh, where people get hung up on this is too intimidating. This is too hard. This is too much. Well, it's because the rest of the hunting industry puts you down the first time you mess up. And uh, and that's what I've always appreciated about you. What you see with Chris Perino is what you get. Um, there is no there is no hang up. There is no, you know, I, I remember calling you and talking to you about uh, my 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 journey into shooting a recurve and uh, you just simply laying it out there for me. There was no like, you know, prettiness to it. There was no like fluff to it it was like this is what you got to do this is how you got to do it um which is what i appreciate because again what i saw with you is what i got and and that's what i appreciated um and you mentioned it and i want to talk about it real briefly you mentioned it um you said with a recurve two or three animals um is good and i want to talk about kind of that mindset change that has to happen whether you're going from a rifle to a compound or a compound to a recurve um, 
there has to be a mindset change. There has to be a mindset change of of your your expectations, your uh, reality. Your there has to be that change. Um, and so, how does that that process look to you? Um, as we change weapons, how does that mindset change uh, look to you? Um, you know, for, like I said, from rifle to taking the step into shooting a bow, uh, and then taking it in even another step further and shooting uh, traditional equipment. Uh, what does that mindset change look like to you? Well, I don't. I guess from my view, if I was feeding my family, I wouldn't be shooting a recurve bow. Like I wouldn't. I would. I'd be shooting a rifle. I'd go hunt. I'd go put something on the table, and and that's that. If if that was my goal, it's not my goal. Um, the the challenge is is really what I, what I personally am after. Like like it is hard. Like any any of the guys that you see or perceive or that are legitimately probably the top five percent out there. I mean, I, I have been fortunate enough that I associate with and, and get to talk to and have met and had, you know, lots of discussions with guys that have been really, really successful. And most of them, you know, the one, the one thing that I do find in, in most of those guys is, is the challenge is kind of really what they're after. Like, it's not really, I, I have to be successful at all costs. Like I, I totally understand it. You know, guys go on, there's some of these hunts that are unbelievably expensive, you know, sheep, desert, bighorn, you know, you, you can name a bunch of them that are, that are very, very expensive, like probably out of, out of reach for a lot of people. And if they, if it was a lifelong hunt, they wanted to go on, it's a lot of money to spend. So I totally understand, you know, going on, certain hunts are doing certain things and saying, man, that's a lot of money. You know, I've saved up for years. I'll never get to do this again. And, you know, to pick a recurve or, or pick a bow for that matter, go do some of those hunts. You are limiting yourself. Well, my view is again, some of what I do is, and I've had the same struggles. Like I've, I've had certain tags I've wanted to draw or hunts I've wanted to go on. And I'm like, man, I, I don't know if, you know, doing this with a recurve, I am, I am really putting myself in, uh, you know, in a spot that most likely I'm not going to be like, this is going to be really, really tough. And I get that, but my decision is never to, okay, well, I'm going to, I want to do it. I'm going to go take a gun and I'm going to go do it because for me personally, and I'm just talking about myself, my views, like it, you're asking me my opinion. I'm giving you totally my opinion. It doesn't mean somebody else's doesn't mean my opinion's wrong. Doesn't mean somebody else's opinion's right. But the reasons that I'm hunting, I like the challenge. Like when I played baseball, and I've used this analogy before, when I played baseball, playing the same team that we beat all the time was not enjoyable to me. Uh, I did not enjoy that. I don't, you know, watching the World Series or watching you know, the Super Bowl or anything, if you've got two teams that are just totally mismatched, that's not a fun game for me. Like I, I don't, I have no, that's, there's not, it's not an exciting. So when you tip the scales, but when, when the underdog comes out, the victor, 
those are always the ones that are that I enjoy the most. Like the chat, like like I'm putting myself shooting a recurve bow, I feel like at a disadvantage. Well, when I am successful, and it's not all the time. Um, it's not every time I, you know, hit the woods, I'm, you know, hanging something on the on the deer rack in the barn. Like that's that's not what it is, but that that's what I'm looking for. Like I want the I want it to be extremely hard. So then when I am successful, I feel like I've accomplished something. And and again, you each person has to kind of and some of that comes down to I would back up to time. You know, a lot of guys and and I I don't have unlimited funds. I don't have unlimited time. I do have more time than probably a lot of guys just because I've been self-employed and I can kind of work my schedule around to where I can get out and, you know, I can, you know, work a half a day and then hunt in the evening or I, I can manage my time to where I've got more time available to get out and go hunting. But I, I know I talked to a guy here a couple of weeks ago and, and him and I were chatting and, and he had done some, you know, we was talking about what the average guy can hunt. Well, you know, if you have 10, 15 days a year to get in the woods and go hunting, you have to understand that that, that limits, limits kind of what you can do. So does it mean you can't be successful? And it doesn't mean that it's, it, it, what it means is if, if you have that much time and you want to shoot a 150 inch deer, 160 inch, that's probably a tall, steep hill to climb. Like that is a very, unless you have just a great spot to hunt, that's probably a very, very tough thing to do. But in my case, and, and in a lot of the guys, again, that I know that I think are the top 5% of guys that are successful, that hunt a lot and and are successful they spend an unbelievable amount of time doing it like it's just a, it's just a fact like they they spend a lot of time doing it they're not successful all the time but they that's it's like that's their hobby and that's what they do so so for me you know each person has to accept, uh, assess what they can put into it and then and then be realistic as to what you expect to get out of it but but again, the guy that has 10, 15 days to, to go deer hunting or go take off and do it, man, go do it and, and set your expectations, set your goals to where they're reachable. I mean, when I see a guy, when I see people that have shot their first doe or they went out and, and collected their first animal with a recurve, I'm happy for them like i'm i'm very I, I would like to see it um um because i know I, i've been there like like they might look at stuff that i've shot and and it's maybe overwhelming to them or they think oh man i'll never get there well that's not again i back it up to my beginning you know i went five years before i killed a, a deer i remember what it was like to kill a doe i remember what it was like to kill a small buck and i remember how happy i was when i did it and the guys that are just diving into it can it, it's this is totally an obtainable goal you know i mean it's when you pick up the recurve obviously you want to become 
the become the best shot you can become. Now, how you choose to do that, again, I try to stay away from the I shoot split finger. I shoot totally instinctive. I am a 25, 20 and under guy. I don't take every shot at 20 yards. And and I think that's a, another thing that people don't realize. Like if I get the opportunity to shoot an animal, if, if in my mind, or I feel like that it's not a shot that I'm going to make effectively and be successful, then I don't take that shot. And, but my reasoning is a little different. If I don't take the shot today, I know I'm going to be out there tomorrow, the next day, or I'm probably going to get the shot that I want. So, you know, I mean, when you're shooting at a foam target and you get a five, well, a five is, is usually hit the foam and you get a five. Well, if, you know, if you shoot a deer target in the guts, uh, that's a dead animal. I mean, that's, that's, it's not a five, it's a dead animal. So for, for me, when you're in the woods and you're shooting live animals, there, there's a lot more on the line. And, and as a hunter, you have to, you have to make those judgment calls on, can I make this shot? Should I make this shot? Is this a, you know, is this a good ethical shot? But that's, that's a personal decision. It's not, you know, I can't tell you whether you should shoot at 20, 24, 18. I mean, if that's, that's your decision to make. I can tell you that, that you have to be able to, if something is not right, either the angle of the animal, how the animal's acting, you know, there's a bunch of different things that come in. It's not just, I can shoot a deer target at 25 yards and I never, and I never miss the targets never move. I mean, where I hunt here in Illinois, I can tell you that the, if you're shooting at a doe in October at 20 yards, you know, grazing, you know, across the cornfield or down the edge of the field there, it's a totally, that, that doe is a totally different animal come December 10th after it's been hunted for two months and been through a couple of gun seasons and seen like, like they will stand out there in the field and, you know, a squirrel drops an acorn or, or a branch falls or something, and you can just see it in the animal that it's that it's on edge. Well, you know, is shooting at that animal at 25, 30 yards, you can be the best shot in the world and things can go wrong. You know, you can make a bad shot. So again, knowing that, you know, I mean, I think a lot of again, a lot of there's a lot of judgment calls and that's a personal, a personal decision that, you know, a hunter's got to make. And, and it's not just, you know, I mean, you have to make the same call, whether you're shooting a rifle or compound or crossbow or whatever it is. I mean, there's just certain shots that probably should not be taken. Like you have a, you're going to have more of a chance to wound the animal. I don't think it's fair personally that, you know, if I got shot 10 deer on my farm and I went and told the neighbors and then I shot a deer, killed it and tagged it, I can guarantee you the night, the neighbors would not think that those other 10 that I got shot and didn't recover were still running around so that they could hunt them. So that that's probably, you know, my, 
one of my biggest pet peeve. And again, it's, it's, it's an individual choice. And as hunters, you have to decide, you know, when to make the shot, how to make the shot is the shot, you know, is this a high, do I have a good chance to make this shot, recover this animal and, you know, collect it ethically. But I mean, I'm not the ethics police. I'm not, I, you know, there's a, a, the deer are a limited supply, really. Like if we all went out there and, and wounded 10 deer before we tagged one, well, those deer don't make it just because, you know, just because we gut shoot them or, you know, you make a bad shot on them. There's, there's a lot of deer that just because you don't recover the animal doesn't mean it's not, you know, dead or, you know, it's not going to make it. So, you know, I mean, for everybody, I mean, we all get, again, we all get tags and, you know, there's a, with getting a tag, there's definitely a responsibility um, as a hunter to, to try to be as effective and, and make the best judgment calls so that we can, you know, eliminate the unnecessary wounding of animals. And again, knowing all that, um, was that too much of a tangent there or did I, no, uh, no, no, no. go that's off the rails? Perfect, <laughs> um, no, that's, that's, that's perfect. And, uh, you know, I, you, you said something about, you know, shooting, shooting foam targets. And I can tell you, that's one of the biggest tips I give people is I've got a 3d range in my backyard. I understand everybody, you know, doesn't have 10 targets in their backyard, but my goal is to not look at the rings and hit a 12 ring or an eight ring or a five. My goal is to look at that 3d target and kill that animal um, and put the shot placement where it needs to be in order to kill the animal. Um, and so I never look at rings and I, I encourage people uh, to not practice on dots and foam targets and block targets, buy yourself a 3d animal and, and don't practice hitting a spot, but practice hitting, practice shooting that animal and killing that animal. Um, because that's how I know where I can be effective from. And that's how I know, um, okay, I know at, at 24 yards, I can shoot this animal and, and kill it. Um, before we move on, I got to give a quick thank you to our friends over at John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. John Mesh was a firefighter in the Kansas City area. He died in the line of duty. Um, he had a strong passion for, for the outdoors and hunting. And he had a strong passion for getting his own kids and other kids involved in hunting. So after dying in the line of duty, his brother, uh, who has become a good friend of mine, Mr. Jim Mesh, he started a memorial and a legacy um, to help that passion that that John had for getting kids involved in hunting carry on, which is the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship Fund. Go check them out at johnvmesh.org. Their goal is to run events to raise money um, dedicated to, to to opportunities for children uh and scholarships for those interested in a profession within conservation so go check out uh john v mesh because it's something worth standing for um getting people involved in hunting but also uh remembering the legacy that a guy left behind um that died in the line of duty and uh and also furthering the learning opportunities for those looking to have a profession in conservation. Uh, go check them out. John V Um, Chris, you, uh, I don't know. I don't know the term to use here, but you're like the, uh, developer. 
I guess that's the word of the grayling quiver from Selway Archery. Um, just released some new quivers or some new colors in that grayling quiver. I'm a huge fan of the grayling quiver. I'm a huge fan of Selway Archery. I'm a huge fan of bear archery and the grayling quiver smashes those together and gives me a bad to the bone quiver um, with that old school bear archery look to it. And you just developed some new colors. Walk me through that, that grayling quiver and the new colors you got. Well, I mean, we've been working on a bunch of different things um, for sure, but you know, we originally came out or I originally started out, I, I built a mold and, and got on a licensing agreement with bear and been working with them um, on trying to bring back uh, again, bear for years and years had an old wire spring arm quiver. You'd call it um, kind of a wire frame quiver. And, you know, I've, I've said this in the past, I've used Selway quivers for since early nineties. I think I bought my first one maybe in 91. So I had used them for years and years and years um, love the components, love the limb attachment models. Um, you know, they got several, you know, originally started out with the slide on and over the years they've come out with uh, strap on quick disconnect. Like there's, you name it. I think they've got it. Um, but I, I, with that, I always, you know, always kind of had a, um, always liked the, those old, the old bear quivers. I just, you know, they were a little bit noisy. They didn't quite for, for my needs hunting, you know, trying to be as quiet and kind of having something that, that worked in the woods for me was the, the, the wire frame quiver was a little noisy and just didn't quite hold the arrows where I wanted them. But, um, so I had ended up, um, talking with bear and, and yeah, I basically took the old, hood that they had on that spring arm quiver and i built a mold and and tried to um tried to match it up as close as i could to the original ones because that's what i liked um and uh you know we had to have added some things we we've added a little bit of you know made them just a touch deeper and the material is is i i think the original ones were made out of uh, abs um i can't absolutely verify that but um you know, that's what guys are telling me from the ones we pulled apart, but the material I'm using is, is extremely tough and, uh, and durable. And so, yeah, I had the color matched and we tried to match it up as, as close to the original ones as they had and, uh, built a mold and, and kind of got that kicked off here a couple of years ago and have been selling the old, the original what you'd call grayling green ones uh last year we came out with a brown uh brown hood with the the kind of the cream logo um we have been working on um doing some black ones we have there's a few of them out there selway's selway's got a few um i know bear has changed brought out this year the kodiak mag the um kodiak magnum the super kodiak and uh the kodiak hunter or the uh yeah the kodiak hunter is it what's the what's the new one they just came out with yeah that's right kodiak hunter yeah the kodiak hunter and all of them are sedua with a black stripe i think the kodiak hunter and the kodiak mag got gray glass on them but um you know the black quivers look super super cool on those 
So, yeah, it's, uh, of course, the Kodiak came out. They changed the 59 Kodiak, and it's now got green glass on it. So, you know, the old the old grayling green, you know, bear, I think, over the years is always, you know, that, that green, whether it be in the glass or the wood, has just kind of been a, I guess, Fred Bear liked green because there was, it was a lot of the bear stuff was, was green. So, yeah. So, yeah, no, no we are out with uh, the original green ones and the original grayling green ones. And then we have chocolate, um, kind of a chocolate brown. Uh, hood out and have been working on some black ones we've been working on we're kind of in some beginning phases of trying to get the the camo put on the hoods and and make sure that that's all um we're gonna so we got a bunch of things going on you know we've been working on some brackets and uh camo dipping some brackets and and just a whole lot of different things uh again i would suggest if you are interested um anybody's interested i know bear is selling the sells the grayling green ones online uh you can go to their website or uh again contact selway archery uh it's a small company up in michigan um and i i know their phone number is on the website i'd give them a call and you know talk to drew or andy or debbie and uh i you know there's a bunch of different options. And if I think if you speak straight with them, they can set you up on colors, attachments, just kind of get you exactly what you want. So in my so. opinion, in my honest opinion, best quiver made, um, truly the best quiver made. I love the slide on quiver. Um, it acts as a, a silencer for your bow at the same time as, as holding your arrows, a fantastic quiver setup. Um, Go check out the Grayling Quiver from Selway. Um, Chris, I want to share. I, I ask all of my guests for a field note, um, but I want to share a field note that, that you have given me in the past. Um, and that was take off if you're shooting a recurve. Um, so I just did this for my uh, Kodiak Hunter. If you're shooting a recurve off the shelf, take off the rug and put just a piece of uh, a, a broken off toothpick um, or something um, at the highest point of your shelf where the arrow contacts that, and then put your rug back down. And that's going to make your surface contact of your arrow smaller when it comes across that shelf. Um, having that one single point, that toothpick point um, underneath that rug, um, just less surface area on your arrow Um producing better arrow flight. I've done that on, on all three of my recurves so far, uh, based off of Chris Perino's advice and it has worked flawlessly. So there's your little, uh, field note, Chris. Um, I, I appreciate you so much coming on my friend. It is always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, you're one guy that, that I really truly would love to go on a hunt with and can't wait to go on a hunt with sometime. Um, so I, I appreciate you greatly taking your time uh, to come on the podcast. Guys, go check out the Grayling Quiver at Selway. Chris Perino um, was the kind of the, the mastermind behind that, and it is a great quiver. Guys, thanks for listening. You guys have a great week. And as always, not as always, um, because I can't always say this, um, but Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.